how can you live a life with God and not have bet on God? I'm, I'm thinking a real life with God, an authentic life with God calls us to moments where we have to have a faith bigger than our own selves. Mary stands at this crossroads and, and demonstrates something for us. Gabriel says, you're the one. Uh, greetings to you, highly favored. So, so Mary has to deal with who she is, whose she is, and what is her purpose in God's creation. This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm your host, Melissa Rao, and this is a conversation inspired by Four Faith, a weekly devotion sent out every Friday. You can find a link to this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe in this episode's description. Good morning, Bishop. Uh, your devotion this week is called Christmas Crossroads, and it's all about Mary, her song, and the reality that she is meeting uh, the crossroads of real life and the divine. Yeah. I, I mean, why Mary? Why now? What about this song hits you? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, if we're not careful, Mary is a voiceless womb, right? But but Mary is a Mary has a voice, and Mary has personal power. Mary has character. Mary has a sense of her history, and she has a sense of her destiny. Uh, you know, um, governments have banned mag the Magnificat, Mary's song. Um, you know, uh, you know, without throwing any throwing any shade or punches. Um, the British government banned uh, the saying of the Magnificat uh, in India uh, the entire time that they colonized India. And it was at the end of British rule that uh, on that final day, Gandhi, who was not a Christian, had the Magnificat read. Wow. So we're afraid. We're afraid of Mary. And, and you know, also, by the by, it's interesting that at least, at least in the Episcopal Church, we think about the four weeks leading up to Christmas as Advent. And, you know, on a, on a closer look, we pick some pretty radical voices and some pretty radical scriptures to, to, to help us. And so people want to make the weeks headed to, to Christmas a lullaby but scripture makes the weeks headed to 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 Christmas reveille. You know, reveille. That's that that's that song. That's that bugle song uh, that they play in the military that says, "Get up, get your boots on." You know, the, the things are changing. Let's make a move. So, so Mary. There's so much to say about Mary, and we don't say nearly enough about Mary. It's it's Mary's theology. It's Mary's faith. It's Mary's life with God that informed Jesus, the young Jesus, the adult Jesus. It's Mary's words that Jesus replicate in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mary is, you know, the epitome of girl power way before there was such a thing as girl power. And so we have to talk about the first chapter of Luke on the way to Christmas. So what specifically stands out to you most? Like when I, when I read the Bible, I'm not always looking for, uh, Huge inspiration, actually. Not always. Sometimes I'm just reading it to read it. Yeah. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah. And so I'm wondering what specifically speaks to you about power and fire and 
revolution um, that would be so dangerous for governments to allow their people to say? Well, b- before we get to there, I mean, you know, I like the Bible too because of the story. I like story. Everybody loves a good story. And if you read the first chapter of Luke, it's all about a story. It's about a family. It's about an older woman who struggled with infertility for many decades in marriage. And rather than give in to disappointment, God makes a way and she's given a baby. That baby becomes what we call John the Baptist, Jesus's biggest cousin. This is a story of a marriage and about keeping faith in real life disappointment. Uh, And then we get to marry a young woman. So we've got an intergenerational family story. We've got a young woman who was raised up in the temple, who understands the words of her people, who understands the faith of her people. And now she's invited to the intersection of real life and the faith that she's been taught as a child. And so who doesn't love a good story? And what will she do? The angel appears to her. What will she do? How will she do it? What will she say? What will be her response? And so Mary brings us to an intersection, the intersection of of real faith, and real life. And, and Mary gives us a way to proceed, what to remember at the crossroads of life. So that's that one piece. And I want to talk a little bit about that. But also Mary is a herald. Mary is a singer. Mary is the first female rap star of the Bible, Mary of the New Testament, at least. Mary, Mary wants to sing into existence the good news of the reality of God, that there's another kind of empire that is here, which is different from the empire that's oppressing her and her people. In this empire, uh, peace is made by bringing the poor to the center. In this empire, all the bellies count, not only the full bellies, but the empty bellies count. And God is a, a empty belly filler. In this uh, new empire, God has a strong arm, an arm that can be uh, utilized to take up your fight, an arm that can be utilized to support you and uh, stabilize you. In, in this new empire, God is a promise keeper. In this new empire, God is making uh, manifest God's promises to our ancestors. And so, so we don't like uh, Mary's God because this God is all about reversal. And Mary is going to sing about that reversal because it's happening to her life, it's happening to her people, and it's going to happen to the powerful, whether they like it or not. Yeah. Well, you know, I was recently in the Holy Lands, like an incredible privilege, and just I find that I'm whole in ways I didn't know I wasn't. Uh, One thing struck uh, stuck out to me, not just one thing, let's be real, so many things stuck out to me. But I do remember the story of our incredible uh, tour guide who not only was an expert about the places, but very, very well, uh, well versed in um, theology and biblical interpretation. And he talked about this when we're standing in uh, what they believe to be Joseph's, perhaps Joseph's home or in about the area. They were talking about, he was talking about this chapter where, yeah, Mary did say yes, and yet she got pregnant. And what does she do? She flees to her cousins. Yeah. (laughs) And let's just think about that through like, you know, uh, modern day lens. Like she's pregnant out of wedlock and she spends three months with her cousin. (laughs) This is even before, you know, presumably she told Joseph. 
Yeah. Right. And so I'm just I'm thinking about the scandal. I'm thinking about all that kind of stuff and and how even today um, people who are gifted with the gift of um, a child are sometimes shamed into having to run away. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know that that's theological. Um, I'm just I'm struck by the fact that Mary. Holy cow, Mary. Back then, it was just unheard of that you had babies out of wedlock and she knew it and she still said yes. She she knew the consequences of faith. Say more, and can you say I, more about that? Well, yeah, I think sometimes we modern folks want a faith that doesn't cost anything. We want Easter without Good Friday, right? Uh, we want we want Christmas, uh, you know, without having to deal with John the Baptist who says to be really prepared for Christ to come into your life anew, you ought to make a turn you ought to let some stuff go and take on some new stuff. And so we want a cheap grace and we want a cheap relationship with God. And, you know, God is just not into that. And Mary counts the costs. And, you know, this is why I say, you know, maybe only a child, you know, uh, maybe only a, a, some someone who is youthful uh, would have the audacity to believe God so radically. Um, and you know, as far as running away, you know, she's running away. Yeah, probably. I think there's, that's a legitimate way to take a look at this, but I think she's also running to something, you know, maybe she's running to the understanding arms of Elizabeth. Elizabeth greets her when, when, uh, when Mary shows up and, and, and immediately in the way that, you know, with an understanding that, that sometimes only older people have older women and older men who've lived some life. You know, they embrace her. She's embraced at the door and says, oh, look at this. The mother of my Lord has come to me. And, and it's when uh, Mary gets to Elizabeth, an understanding uh, person of faith, that Mary launches out into her song, you know, it, it, her song of praise. Maybe, maybe she feels like she had to go to Elizabeth's house because that was the only safe place to praise God. You know, I think one of the things we, we might need to pay attention to in some of our churches uh, especially perhaps in some of our Episcopal churches, which is the church I know the best and love the most, it is, is that sometimes people look at us funny if we want to praise God. And sometimes the quietest hour in some of our churches is when we want to give thanks to God. I mean, we know how to do really, really good, elaborate and wonderful prayers for people in trouble or crisis of any kind. And we should. But when you ask people to say, is there anything that we should praise God for this morning? Is there anything to give thanks to God? For in this morning, and these are in parishes where people are well healed and have all the trappings of blessing. You know, you can you can you can hear a uh, uh, you know a pin drop, and so maybe maybe Elizabeth's home was the only safe place to praise God with her full throat. And so I love that they have this conversation. I imagine standing in that doorway, old meets young, old and pregnant meets young and present. It's the intergenerational congregation, right? And, uh, and all they want to do is say, my God, what a God we have. This God is real. I didn't know, and now I know, and I'm so glad I have you to know with me. And so there's a point there, is, is that as we stand at our own Christmas crossroads, you know, how shall I go forward? What does faith demand? You know, you ought to get you a partner. You ought to find somebody who understands, a friend who understands what it's like to have bet on God, risked everything for God. I mean, you know, people get a little sort of funny when we start talking this way, but 
how can you live a life with God and not have bet on God? Is it only just a sort of uh, sort of quiet, uh, decent and in order sort of, uh, you know, uh, alignment with God? Or have you had to bet on God at some point? Have you, have you had to sort of, you know, be the person of audacious faith? I'm, I'm thinking a real life with God, an authentic life with God calls us to moments where we have to have a faith bigger than our own selves. And, 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 and Mary does that. And look, let me just say about this crossroads. Mary stands at this crossroads and, and demonstrates something for us. Gabriel says, you're the one. Uh, greetings to you, highly favored. So, so Mary has to deal with at the crossroads who she is, whose she is, and, uh, and what is her purpose in God's creation, right? And so uh, whenever we're standing at crossroads, that is true for us also. I have to be reminded of who I am, right? Because I can get lost in who the world says I am. And so the angel greeted her and said, you are favored by God. That's who you are. And so, you know, if you read on in the story, Mary has a complex of emotions after that. She is troubled, scripture says. She is perplexed. Right. And she is afraid and she has some biological questions as well. Hey, I've never even been on a date. How did this happen to me? <laughs> so but what helps her navigate all these real world emotions and questions is the fact of who she is in God. I am God's favorite. If I could remember to look in the mirror and remind myself of that, I am favored by God and favored just simply means God has intervened in my life and made a difference. So Amen. anybody who's listening, you are favored by God. Amen. If you were on the wake up list this morning, God yes. has favored you <laughs> this morning. And so then it's whose she is. And then she goes on and has a lot to say about who this God is. God of my ancestors, the promise keeping God, the belly filling God, uh, the arrogant defying God, uh, the poor centering God. This God is God. And she remembers that this God is bigger than any opposition she's going to encounter. And when we're at our crossroads, we got to remember that this God is bigger than cancer. This God is bigger than divorce. This God is bigger than bankruptcy. This God is bigger than the political upheaval that we find ourselves in. This God is going to be right here. And while all this stuff is passing, what is non-negotiable is who God is. And so we remember that. And then the last part, and then the last part is really relative to the first two parts is, is that, so because I am who God says I am, right? And because God is who scripture says God is, then now what is my purpose? What is my part in God's gener generative friend-making campaign? How do I join this wonderful God in God's healing of the world. Mary said, yes. That's what she did at her crossroads. She said yes to God again. She doubled down on God. And we're still talking about her 2,000 years later. You know, and with that simple yes, we believe she changed the universe. And what would it be like for us to remember who we are, whose we are, and discern our purpose in God today as we find ourselves at the crossroads of our own lives. Well, Bishop, I feel like we could probably wrap there, but I do have a few more wonderings and we'll be right back after this. Hi listeners, thank you for listening to Four People, a space of digital evangelism. 
You can keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. And now back to four people. Welcome back to four people. So Bishop, I I know that I, this isn't exactly a question and answer thing. It's really a wondering I have mm-hmm. about perspective and how we um, how we individually wrestle with scripture based upon our gender. I know this is so weird, but I was thinking about Mary. I was thinking about Ruth and Naomi and a number of other women throughout the Bible. And I was thinking about the way I ingest scripture and I'm able to put myself into the shoes of whomever might be at the center of it, whether male, female, child, whatever. Yet I'm still wondering, um, some of the men I know, I don't know are actually able to put themselves into the into the the whole self of who Mary might be since they're not female, they've never been pregnant. And that aside, I'm just curious, like, do you have any insight for that or wonderings if if you've come encountered a challenge with gender in the Bible? Well, I guess I guess some people will hear me go on about Mary or even read the story of Mary and say, well, that's fine and good for a young woman. But what's that got to do with me, a 58-year-old man? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, you know, and this is where I like to be a little cute here and say, you know, this story is not about Mary's hymen. This is about Mary's heart. Right. And I, I think and, and so hearts, hearts don't necessarily <laughs> have, gender. have a gender. <laughs> right. Right. And so you have a heart and at, 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 you know, Mary speaks her heart and this is what she says. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And so, so whether man or woman, uh, or even transgender person, you know, it's at the heart. What does your heart magnify? And so, Mary's heart, you know, sharing her heart with us in Scripture, asks us to, what's on your heart? You know, how do you magnify the Lord? How has God saved you? How is God saving you? And that—that's a question for all humanity. That's beyond gender. And so. Yeah, I guess if we want to stop at gender, then, you know, I want to question our willingness to even go deep with God. Uh, I, I think, and then let me also say, too, one of the wonderful ways uh, that Scripture continues to dance is, is that it, it makes a liar out of miso- misogyny, right? So, so if you read the Bible, you know, the, the, the sheroes uh, of the Bible, you know, these are women, you know. It was probably Sarah, not Abraham, who said, baby, we ought to do, God is doing something. We ought to do something. You know, we remember that patriarch said, put all the cool words in Abraham's mouth. Probably, <laughs> those of us who are married, who, you know, we probably realize that Sarah whispered to him on the, on the pillow one night, said, baby, I think God is doing a new thing and you ought to get involved, <laughs> you know? And then of course, you know, it's, you know, the new Testament comes through literally Mary, literally Mary. And, and, you know, the women last at the cross and, and, you know, and sort of first at the tomb are women. So, you know, you'd be on the losing side of an argument if you wanted to write women, you know, out of, you know, the tri the, the militant 
work of the church to proclaim Jesus as Lord in the real world. Uh, and then, and then also, you know, I guess what I want to say uh, is, is that, you know, it, it helps me I, perhaps as a, as a man, it, it, it helps me to balance myself a little better. You know, I have daughters and I realize that we socialize uh, girls to apologize for being smart. You know, I hear very omnicompetent women, you know, when they make an insight or make an offering, they apologize and, you know, sort of, you know, we teach them this. I, I don't know how we do it, but we do it. And um, we're doing less of it now because we're becoming more aware of it. And scripture helps us with that because, you know, again, again and again in scripture, there's girl power. And, and there are men who are faithful and there are women who are faithful. In the Bible, there are women who have power and are villains. And there are men who have power and are villains. And so uh, I, I think if we can, we can realize that the, the Bible was written through a particular lens, which was patriarchal and perhaps even misogynistic in places, uh, that is all, that's true. But beside that truth, it's amazing to see that, that, uh, that, that there are stories of women's faith who saved the day. Um, and so we have to hold all of that intention. And, and what I love about it at the end of the day, uh, and this is why I, I couldn't be a part of any church that didn't affirm women in leadership, is, is that what we, what we see in Scripture is, is that God will use whomever God wants to use to change the world. And God is not a respecter of our small-minded gender bias. Uh, and, 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 and scripture is probably the best evidence of that. Amen to that. Thank you for sharing that wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, I think it, we need to say it. It needs to be said again and again. And, you know, younger, younger kids are moving in that direction. Some of us older people are a little slower to get to that bus. Um, but I, I think there's real liberation for the church there. Um, you know, we, we need to, um, we need to affirm leadership when it shows up and it, and it shows up in, in all kinds of people. And this is the wonderful news of God. God uses the willing and that's about the heart. Awesome. Well, I'm grateful for you, Bishop, as always. And we're always so grateful for you tuning in and listening to four people. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Please subscribe, leave a review, and we'll be back with you next time.